of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey and today on the show I have Miss Laurel Sulfate. Hi. Uh, she uh, fronts the uh, the dance pop band Laurel Sulfate and her ladies of leisure. Abbreviated to Laurel Sulfate and her LOL. Yes or just the LOL if you really are into the brevity thing. Yeah right the LOL. Um, I remember seeing that like abbreviated and I thought you were in an entirely different band at first. <laughs> but then I'm like, how did that not come to me? Uh, but their, uh, their uh, latest album, Dance Music Saves Lives, is, uh, it's been out uh, for a couple months now. You can find it streaming everywhere. So Laurel, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Ben. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Mm. I'm glad. Uh, what'd you do today? Um, I mostly just got up this morning and like chilled and exercised a little bit oh, and nice. like had a nice morning and drank way too much coffee. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But you I, got, it's what you got to do. Yeah. You know? But I got up super early yesterday. So today was sort of my like morning to chill because oh, cool. on Wednesdays I babysit a one year old and I uh, get up at like anywhere between 5.45 and 6.15 depending on oh, what wow. time she's coming. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those like early like toddler days where that's the hour you get up right. like as a little kid well, like you're up before everything else in your surroundings well, you know? yeah, her dad her dad does construction work so mm -hmm. he works very early in the morning so i think she's not even like happy to be awake at that time yeah. like she comes to me and he's like i had to wake her up again today and i'm oh, like man. poor kid you're gonna set her internal alarm clock to be an early yeah. bird forever and she's gonna be damaged for life yeah, which I mean, I guess is kind of a good thing because at least she's like, at least she won't have trouble getting up for school. That's true. That's very um, true. But yeah, like, I don't know. That means you have to go to bed earlier to get your, your eight hours. I'm very bad at that. I'm a night owl by nature. Are you? Yes. I used to think I was, and I was for a while, but now like I'm just, I feel like I'm so stimulated all the time and my, I set my mind to so many things throughout the day yeah. that I just get so worn out and now I'm like, I could pass out at like 11 or 12 every night, which is perfect. That's not too bad. That's that's like a decent time to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Like oh. I usually will, I'll go until I like fall over from tiredness, mm -hmm. but then I'm out for the entire night so then I can get up fairly early and do it all again the next day without without mm -hmm. missing too much because I sleep pretty well. But, That's good, yeah. But I would, if given my druthers, like when nobody's around and there's nobody there to like everyone else goes to sleep and if I'm just all alone, I'll stay up to like two or three and then be like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. It's the, the moment when you're working on something and you're just staring at it and you haven't mm -hmm. actually like done a muscle's worth of work for like half an hour and you realize yeah. that you're actually tired and that's right. what your body is telling you but you haven't been listening because you're yeah. working. Right, yeah, where you're just kind of like uh, voluntarily like keeping your attention awake. But, <laughs> yes. but, but But that point when like your, when your eyes are trying to force themselves closed, right. it's time to call it quits. But I think that like the best time to wake up is like 8.39 a.m. I, I think that's like the perfect time to wake up. Totally agree with Not you. too, like it's not like too early. Right. If where, you get up too early, nothing's even open. And right. then you're like, why, what's the point? Right. And you're all like pretty much 
always like still like it takes so long to like actually wake up and get to your senses if you're waking up at like 7 7 30 but if like you're up 8 39 like that's enough time to have gotten like a full amount of rest but it's also early enough in the in the morning where like you didn't sleep too much of it away right that's ideal I, 8 39 i agree completely good. with you Thank you go you. to bed at midnight you get up at 8 30 mm. you got your eight and a half hours you're all good it's perfect now, the last couple of days, I've been sleeping until 10, and I've, like, needed my alarm oh, to man. wait. I last, granted, last night, I was watching a movie, and I got halfway through it. Have you seen The Theory of Everything? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good. It's about Stephen Hawking. Oh, I've heard of the movie. That. Sure. I haven't seen it, though. Yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, actually, like, you learn a lot about his life, but uh, it was made before he died. Um... But um, I've watched half of it last night, the other half of it this morning. Um, but, like, so I was up, like, a little later. That Like, I was up to, like, 1.30 or so last night. So I had I had to sort of, like, sleep a little longer this morning. But usually I don't like to do that because even 10, I feel like, is pushing it a little bit. I get the same thing. Or sometimes I'll get up very early. Like, I'll get up at 7.15, and then I have, like, a lot of errands. Like, I run in the morning and then come home and, like, decide I'm going to take a nap. But yeah. then, like, by 8.15, but then what always happens is then I end up sleeping until, like, 10.30, 11, and mm -hmm. then I'm like, why even bother? I should just go yeah. to bed. The day's, like, practically over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, I fucked today up, but yeah. tomorrow is going to be yeah. my day. I guess I'm just going to have to like play Super Mario all day. There's nothing for it. It's 11.30 already. That sounds pretty wholesome, What though. is life? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad that um, we have this nice little mid-afternoon <laughs> episode. Definitely. Um, so, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we examine love and fear through our creative and passionate minds. And uh, you are a very uh, passionate and... Um, socially conscious um artist i try uh, i try yeah uh you, you you do very well at it uh i saw you at uh femme fest this past year that was my yeah. first time seeing you at club garibaldi's that was a really fun show it was fun that was really yeah that was a good party yeah it was it was a great time and um uh yeah i really enjoyed your like synthy dance pop sound um and i interviewed you for break and entering and heard a little bit more about like the messages you're trying to get out with your music and that's just a lot about you know it's all about empowerment and and femininity like female like girl power essentially yeah. femme power i like Fe to say femme power because i like to i like to be inclusive yeah yeah feminine sure. binary and exactly yeah 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 i should it, i stand corrected all like, of that good stuff i mean, yeah. like language is always a little tricky saying things in just the right way especially when you're just talking right. as opposed to writing things down where you get to be very specific, specific yeah. and very careful about your language which is one of the reasons i like writing things down mm -hmm. so much and it's an adjustment with like the language we use you know yeah. it's ever evolving absolutely true um but yeah point being like and that's kind of the beauty about femfest is that it's honestly kind of a misnomer right because although it does embrace um a lot of women artists it also gives that same amount of recognition or at least tries to with non-binary artists as well um right and uh i mean that's sort of like it, I, mean, I feel like it's all kind of, um, it's visibility for the same thing, which is giving a, a spotlight to 
non-men, essentially. That's a perfect way, like non-cis yeah. men. That's like a perfect way to yeah. say it, like giving, giving space and making a lot of space for people who weren't born men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and uh, one way or another, right? However it goes. Yeah, and and like that being said, like you know, there's you know, there's there's plenty of great bands that are all men that are in the city, but it's like we see so many yeah. like all men bills and just all men curated into an event. Yeah, which, like which sometimes it works out that way, but other times, like you know, it's just a constant, and it's great to see where like. You know, for like, even if it's just for one celebratory weekend of the year, like, women and non binary folk are allowed to just dominate the space yes. and bring all of their power and their energy and their um, excitement into an amazing set list of shows. And I thought, and so, like, it wouldn't it have been more perfect for uh, you to play that weekend. Well, thanks. I felt that way too. I felt like, I felt like we were a good choice for the mm -hmm. festival, but, um, but I was, I was really happy to play in that kind of a setting in that kind of space for sure. And I will say, I think that Milwaukee has gotten a lot more gender diverse as far as like representation in the music scene yeah. and the art, like the arts in general, just like as things have progressed, you know, since I first moved here. But I, when I first moved here, um, it was like, 2000 ish or something like that. Oh, wow. I had my first band I had in like 2004, five maybe, mm -hmm. and it was me and one other girl, and we were definitely on a lot of bills where we would be the only women, and sometimes the only women in the entire room. Like even mm -hmm. the entire audience would be men, um, and that so I definitely have seen like a lot, a lot of improvement and a lot more, just like a lot more women and femmes and non-binary folks just and trans folks just putting themselves out there and, mm -hmm. you know, starting their own bands and making connections with each other. And that's really, really great to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just interviewed um, a band this past weekend. They're called Sufferhead. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, talking to Anna, their uh, lead vocalist, uh, after the show. And she had moved from Boston originally uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, she has felt the same way where, like, you know, um, bands that um, have, that are all about, like, um, women and non-binary femme empowerment um, has become so much more embraced and featured rather yes. than simply being, like, a a secondary right Tack, tacked on to the end of a bill where yeah. you basically almost had to like push to get yourself on the bill in the first place which right definitely happened to us a few times oh totally we, you know like the very first band and we'd be playing like before the band like before the show was technically even scheduled to start because mm -hmm. we like muscled our way in yeah you know? right and it shouldn't you know and it should never have to be that way because it's like yeah like you know it's annoying for Someone it would be annoying for someone like me, a cis het white man, if I had to do that, like feel like I'm forcing myself into like a situation or trying to get us right. a, a uh, trying to get a, a a spot on a bill or something like that. That'd be annoying to me, but that's the reality of anyone who's like not a man yeah. in any in most any like you know yeah. uh, creative scene. One thing that becomes really difficult about it is when you're on the inside of it, 
and I suspect there are many people who have other kinds of otherness that they can speak to this more than I can even as like a white woman but um like you don't even like it's a lot it's invisible a lot so a lot of times you're not sure you're like well is it just me am I not good enough you know like mm -hmm. your first assumption is always like well it's obviously you know they you know my band just isn't good enough they don't like me as you know as a performer whatever um, or in, and even in personal situations I've had that happen where like then there's another layer where underneath it you have to wonder like well is it because I am a woman or you know like I've had situations where I'm like oh am I being treated differently because I'm queer like it always yeah. takes you a couple steps and you're never really certain and mm -hmm. the uncertainty of it is actually part of what's kind of off-putting about it yeah. because it's really hard to shout it out in a way where you feel justified like mm -hmm. I was treated poorly because I'm queer I was treated poorly right. because I'm a woman you just always kind of feel like you're not sure whether that was the case right. and that unsureness can be really unsettling mm -hmm. um, yeah. and even so even now in the band scene like I've had that happen a few times where I'm like was I just being talked down to or is that person just mansplained? I mean, it yeah. happens a lot, yeah. and then you have to wonder, you know, and then you get into the conversation where somebody's like, oh, he's just, he's a really nice guy, you know, he's just kind of awkward. And it's like, that might be true. It might also be true that uh, his awkwardness is partially sexist, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. where's the balance there? Like, it's always yeah. really hard to, because I don't think anybody who does that necessarily, like, I don't think most people who like mansplain for instance I don't necessarily think they mean to be doing mm -hmm. it I think it's an unconscious habit and yeah. it's born of a lot of things but sexism is definitely like part of it and a lot of it is unconscious you know right yeah that, that, that's the point like it being so, such a subconscious thing not realizing that you're doing it um, which yeah like a lot of that discriminatory behavior or prejudice or whatever like it's not overt and it doesn't have to be for someone to pick up on right, it. Right, and it doesn't have to be overt to be effective gatekeeping either, which is a yeah. good point. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, I'm because I used to work at Starbucks and um, we actually, like, when we had that whole racial bias training, that. we learned about, like, the psychology behind bias is that it, it is very subconscious. It's like a psychological phenomenon that we that everyone has in some way yeah, absolutely. where we just tend to gravitate towards people that we have like a preconceived notion that they are good or that we feel safe around them or that right. we feel like that they're in our comfort zone. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like, um, that's why like a lot of, um, that's sort of like a, um, a remnant of like how, racial groups have always been segregated um, uh, where like racial groups tend to become more they they tend to be more comfortable with people that look like them or like well i think especially if you're in a marginalized racial group i mean there's real safety concerns there you know yeah. i mean there's real reasons that are completely legitimate for wanting to like keep yourself separate from somebody who may be a threat to you yeah right i mean that's completely legit yeah in addition to the fact that just i mean i'm somebody who's in your family and in your social right. circle of you know exactly are gonna be a similar racial makeup as you so. right and it's okay to be it's like it's that bias is it's innate you know it's like we can't control it when it happens but the what is in our control is identifying that it's there yeah and your response to it yeah too. and something that i've had to really adjust to um especially like recently um, from having a conversation with a friend, like, 
that as some like I as a cishet white man, like when I enter a space, I have to be conscious that not everyone is gonna feel safe around me right away. Right. Um, and it's like, and I'm somebody who like, I mean, I've always felt like very. Like, I try to be very cognizant of that, that, like, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I don't want to, like, you know, impose right. at all. Um, I don't like to, I like, I want people to feel comfortable around me. But I have to accept that just because of that bias that we were just talking about, there are people from marginalized communities that may not, you know, I'm not going to have their immediate trust, you Absolutely. know, and that I have to, that's something I have to uh, earn. Right, right. You know? That's and, a really good way of putting it. Yeah, and I'm also not entitled to it either. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to accept because you're always like, well, what did I do wrong? Well, because everybody wants to be liked, yeah. fundamentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, everybody just wants everybody else to, like, like them and feel comfortable yeah. around them, and you want to like other people and feel comfortable exactly. around them. I mean, but, yeah. most people, like, your base setting before socialized bullshit gets in the way is not going to be like, oh, I can't wait to hate everybody and be scared of them, mm -hmm. you know? Right. It's a, it's a defense <laughs> mechanism, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, um, on that status, I posted that status a couple, like, weeks ago where I was asking, like, how, what men can do to make women and non-binary folk more comfortable. Right. And I think it was, uh, somebody, somebody commented, I think several might have actually had input on this, but something I imagine you can relate to, where when you are, especially when you play in a band, you know, like, you're not, you're kind of thought of as not, like, like the, uh, person in charge or something like that, you're thought right. of secondary to, like, someone else, like a man that might be, like, a company, and, like, you're not talked to right away as like representative that's of definitely that's definitely a reality and we've had that happen multiple times in the band where we'll play a show i mean and i'm very much if anyone's seen us perform like i'm really out there as being like the leader of yeah. the band and it's mostly me that you get a lot of on stage sure for yeah. better or for worse part yeah. of it is that i have bandmates who don't necessarily like they're more shy than I am, mm -hmm. so they don't really want to be blabbing at the audience the way yeah. I do the whole time. I have a real performance streak in me, so yeah. like, I'm, yeah. that's my comfort zone. I mean, excitable comfort zone, but still. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, so anyone who's actually just watched the show, like, you feel like it would be obvious, like, who the person you're gonna go kind of address after the show is, and which is mm -hmm. not to say that I don't want people talking to bandmates, because that's totally right, fine yeah. too. I mean, so it's amazing to me how many times after a show, people will come up to my guy bandmate specifically, out of all of us in the band, and compliment him on the music and the writing and the beats. Mm -hmm. um, and they say it in this way that indicates that they feel like he must have written everything. And he actually hates that. Mm -hmm. He hates it the most, which is one of the reasons why he's the only boy in my feminist band. Um, because uh, he's, we co-write everything, and yeah. some things are written just by me, you know. But and he is like, he actually is my songwriting partner. So mm -hmm. then that like adds a weird level to it, yeah. um, because he deserves recognition for his work. But sure. when people come up to him and they're like, "Hey, your beats are really great," and they address him first, he's always very quick to turn them around and be like, "Well, she wrote that." You know, or like, right. and like, really like turn the attention around, or like, well, we wrote this together, and he's really, um, really conscientious about that, which is great. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it is amazing to me how often it happens where like, you know, or like the sound tech guys always will go and talk to him before they'll go talk to me. Which is, I feel rather illogical anyway because it is... I won't say is, always, but a lot of the time. Sure, There sure. are some great guys out there who are doing sound tech. I can think of a couple in Milwaukee, but anyway. Sure, yeah. Which is kind of illogical anyway because it is Laurel Sulfate. Right. And her Ladies of Leisure. Right. Like, it's like you're, like, you are the, like, the titular right. person and, like, you have your band. Like, I would, you would think it's sort of, you know, a, um, it's like imperative for people to talk to you first about like, you know, the band and the songwriting and like the shows and everything. Right. Like, which well, generally speaking, if you're emailing the band or messaging the band on Facebook or anything, the person you're getting a response to is like 90% of the time it's me. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. the one who's feeling all of that stuff. And like, I mean, that's partially by design. Like I want to be, I'm, I'm in charge, put my name on the band, you know, um, it's my project that other people, I were generally added to, like mm -hmm. I found them and we start working well together. So they yeah. came and joined me, but it, you know, and everybody else could quit, and it would still be me and my band. And For I'd sure. still be doing the same thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it is an interesting thing. I've talked to some women in bands who, uh, one friend in particular who told me that she would get such shitty responses from venues and booking agents and things when she was interacting with people, and people would be slow to respond, they drank their heels, whatever. So they actually created a fake band manager that they use. Um, oh, wow. And it's a guy with a man's name, I don't remember what it is, but um, but all of her correspondence for the band goes out as the, this band manager who is this fake guy that they invented, and oh, it's wow. always her. And she said, but it improved communication like that. Like, people would get back to her faster, oh, wow. people sure. would reach out to her faster. So, I mean, so it is a real thing that happens that even now. <laughs> I know, it is fucked up. And I still I haven't tried it, because I feel like, like cause I did think about it, and I was like, well, I feel like people are still pretty good at reaching out to me, so I mean, I don't don't necessarily feel like I need it, but I am kind of curious about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that could be a, like a social experiment of sorts. Well, there's also like the kind of the air of professionalism of having a manager too. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I'm like, it's just me, you know, mm -hmm. like I am like, doing like, are we coming across as unprofessional if it's just the singer from the band contacting everybody? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also like like the personalness of it personalness yeah yeah for lack of a better term sure. like I like that I'm like contacting other people and they know it's me that they're talking yeah to, so which and yeah exactly there's nothing wrong with that like whatever works for you right and your goals so and I consider us to be a warm and friendly band so I would say no, so I want to put that <laughs> forth into the universe hopefully we receive it back oh so. totally you fucking do oh thanks I got that <laughs> like from so so yeah I'd love to talk about your music a little bit so yeah. um a lot of it actually but, you know, <laughs> I, we gotta know about uh everything that's going into your band and everything and so on that note I remember you said that you had a band before that didn't really like you like something about like you didn't really know like where it was going or like what you guys yeah. were doing at the time with it right. and then you know, eventually, uh, you met your songwriting partner and that eventually became like what your band is now today. So I guess like, where was that sort of transition from the original band? Um, and knowing what you know now that became the band that you actually want to be. 
That's a great question. Um, I mean, part of it is just personal growth. As you get older and you have yeah. more experiences, you get to, if you're, you know, hopefully you're thinking about yourself and thinking mm -hmm. about other things around you and really clarifying your life and what is yeah, important to you. Yeah, for sure. So that's, but that's pretty generic. Sure. Um, the, so the old band, it was a feminist dance pop duo. Okay. And um, I should start out by saying, like, I'm completely untrained as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, that's not, I went to art school for drawing so oh, nice. that's my it's my trained skill set oh. um and i like always hey, we love crossover uh yeah. crossovers here yeah right? and I, I grew up as a considering myself a visual artist like sure. from the time i like i can remember like identifying as anything like i was like four years old i'm like i'm gonna be an artist when i grow up mm -hmm. um uh, but that expresses itself in a lot of different ways for me and it always has like i've always been involved in theater i've always loved music i've always loved to sing my mom, when I was growing up, had a gigantic record collection, like just oh, nice. like it, you know, stretched across a wall. Awesome. And she had her turntable, and it was in the dining room where you could access it. And she let me just listen to whatever I oh, wanted. Beautiful. And um, yeah, and she was just like a huge aficionado. So I would just like lay on the floor and like listen to records, and you know, toss them aside, and you'd be like laying in a pile of LP covers. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Almost Famous. One of my favorite movies of all time. So the scene in the beginning when she, his big sister, gives him her record collection, and he's going through all the album covers and tracing his finger over the album. Mm -hmm. I relate to that scene more than any scene in any other movie maybe like I just relate super hard mm -hmm. like that was my first experience of music was just like loving it as a person who was consuming music yeah um and I put on the records and sing and dance and like oh, imagine yeah. being a pop star you know and like as I got to be a teenager I would like write poetry that was really lyrics but yeah. I didn't know that at the time um because all my poetry was sure. based on whatever music I was listening to mm -hmm. you know like oh I want to write like Tori Amos <laughs> yeah 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 um but like I uh, like I never had any sort of music lessons or anything as a kid, and a lot of that was uh, like fear-based, basically, because we're talking about love and fear. Mm -hmm. um, partially, like my mom always told herself this story about how she loved music, but she couldn't carry a note, and she had no musical skill, and she didn't understand where my musical uh, affinity came from, because she'd be like, "Well, you have such a nice voice. I don't know where you get that from." And she was a big self-down talker. And even though she would talk positively about me, she had a real tendency to talk negatively about herself in a lot of mm -hmm. things. And I feel like when parents do that with their kids, it trickles down whether you want it to or not. So like now being a parent myself, like it's really important not to talk yourself down in front of your kids. Yeah. And it's just not a healthy habit in general. I mean, I don't know. We live in a society where I feel like you're taught that in order to be a good person, you have to talk yourself down all the time. You know? Like, yeah, that is true. We come yeah. from this, like, you know, they, these, like, puritanical settlers came and they settled. And then there's, like, a capitalism aspect to it, too, where, like, mm -hmm. you know, that just, like, feeds into this idea that to be too satisfied with yourself the way you are is not profitable to the system, first of all. And, and also then from, like, a patriarchal monotheistic point of view like puritanical point of view it's amoral or it's immoral yeah. and like it's like it's so bedrock and so foundational and it's wow. very terrible for women in particular yeah. i think um but anyway so that's kind of where i started was like thinking that i was not like allowed to be a musician mm -hmm. because i didn't have i wasn't trained i like nobody like came and gave me a gold star and said you're official you know mm -hmm. and i remember in high school like i would being all, I would try out for every play, and I was in theater, and I would do a lot of plays. But when it came to the high school musical, I was like, "Well, 
I'm gonna try out, but I mean, I know I'm not in chorus or anything like that, and I would like get on stage and then like not be able to get the notes out in front of people. Mm -hmm. I could be like, <laughs> nothing would come out. Yeah. Or I'd go for like the character role so that I didn't have to sing, like really sing, you know, like, and the, yeah. I would only pick like minor roles to apply. It was really intimidating. Mm -hmm. But then I'd go home and there was like my mom had a stand up mirror and I would be like, yeah, you know, right. sing in front of the it really mirror, comes out. all my yeah. light, sure. practice over and over again, yeah. singing all my, all the Tori Amos songs in the car. There you go. Um, but so then when I, I went to art school, focused on visual art for a long time, graduated from art school, had no fucking clue what I was going to do next. The way, like, my whole plan had been like, go to art school, graduate from art school, be an artist. But then you get out and you're like, oh, I don't know what that means mm -hmm. at all. You know, like what does it mean to be an artist? Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of just like floated around not doing much for a couple of years, which I think happens to a lot of people when they graduate yeah. college. Oh yeah. Like I oh went really God, yeah. hard to get myself all the way through college without, without taking a break. Cause I knew if I stopped it, that it would fall apart mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be able to continue. Yeah, I dealt with that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I like got out and I was like, Whoa! Yeah. And then I was like, okay, and I just got like a job in a deli, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And like, so for two years, I just like plotzed around Milwaukee, mm -hmm. like drawing comic strips for myself and like having big ideas that I had no idea how to follow through. I didn't have a community yet. I didn't have anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I bumbled into uh, the Darling Hall community at the time, which I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Darling Hall. I am not. Um, so for a while, like, during the time when like Borg Ward was around and stuff like oh, that, yeah. there were yeah. a lot of like underground theater spaces, like DIY spaces that you could go to that were open and you could go see shows and people would do weird shit and like just put on like bizarre plays, like punk punk rock touring troops of ballerinas would tour through, like yeah. whatever kind of oh. crazy shit. And a lot of them would go to Darling Hall, which is on the south side. It's on 6th and Bruce, okay. right at the foot of the big the viaduct, the sure, bridge. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's like a, like a cute resale shop or something. Oh, cool. It's right on the corner down there. Oh, wow. Um, but it was at the time, there was, for a long time, there was a theater there and I kind of stumbled into it and it was all these, you know, like Milwaukee art freaks just getting together, putting on shows and they would just do all sorts of things, variety shows. People would get up on stage and sing or act out like weird skits that they'd written or like do like performance art or there'd be mm -hmm. bands but then there'd be other things and they'd have like you know like weird short films like whatever they felt like doing um and we started doing a performance art fashion show at some point and i was one of the designers oh cool <laughs> and we would have a band and uh, we it would always be like a local band who would like play the live music for the fashion show and then one time when we were doing the fashion show we couldn't find a band to book so me and one of the other organizers uh, Allison Halter, who doesn't live here anymore, uh, decided that we were just going to start our own band for the fashion show. Like, well, we'll just write all the music for the fashion show, too. Nice. Like, in typical DIY style, yeah. well, we'll just also be the band. Then. Right, yeah. Um, and we liked doing the band so much that we mm -hmm. stopped doing the fashion show and just started being a band. Yeah. So that's kind of how that started. Yeah. There was another, actually, that's how yeah. gold also like the Bengal. Oh really? They I didn't kinda, know that. Yeah, they kind of got started like they were like a it was like a Halloween thing and they were only going to do it that one time. Right. And, and it became something serious right. like um, Well, yeah, we wrote all those songs. Like we wrote and you know, yeah. we didn't have like neither of us with any musical training or anything. We had like a Casio keyboard yeah, and we're like, "Well, sure. we're going to make this work. Let's write songs." Uh, right, and then yeah. like 
it kind of like crystallized a lot of like stuff that had been in my life all that time that I hadn't recognized was songwriting and mm -hmm. musical skill and like a desire to be a musician. And like after I got a taste of it, I was like, oh, I like doing this and I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm enjoying this work. And um, so then eventually uh, my bandmate moved away. Um, and so the band broke up as bands will, and I didn't have anybody to make music with. And of course, I wasn't professional and untrained and everything. I'd only had mm -hmm. the one band, and the whole right. time, even like you telling yourself, like, like you, we joke about how like we're a real band, but we never felt like you kind of only half felt legit, like half felt like a real band, like um, the way everybody always tells themselves that you're not a real whatever the thing is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, for years, even when people ask, like, what you do for a living, I'd be like, well, I mean, I'd like to be an artist, but really, what are you, you know, like, I work in a deli, but, I, you know, like, you always do yeah. the thing where you say what your, like, dumbass day job is first, yep. and then after that, you yeah. follow it up with, like, but I'm an artist, but I mean, I don't, like, make my, yeah. you know, like, but I mean, like, I'm not, like, professional or anything. Yeah, that's DIY culture yeah. for, for sure, And yeah. I just, at some point... It sucks. Yeah. At some point that. during that transition, when I started writing songs by myself again, just to have songs to write, I realized that I was just like, like that I didn't have to like make excuses anymore. Like mm -hmm. I was like, what would happen if I just did this like little like hubristic move of just when people say, what do you do? Or what are, you know, when they ask you the question, just be like, I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And just like, let it be a story. Right, yeah. And it was really uncomfortable at first, but it sat really well on me. And like the thing is, people are always fascinated. They're always interested when you say, "Oh, I'm a yeah. musician." They're like, "You're making it work oh. for yourself, yeah, right. yeah." You're like making, you're owning the reality that you want and that you're working towards. Right. I'm dressing for the job I want. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's yeah. been working so far. I mean, yeah. It's like self-creating to a certain extent, which sure. I am a big believer in. That's a lot of, that's beautiful. Um, I'm happy you're doing it because I think that you are truly like making your audience and just anyone that comes across you, like, I think you are truly like embracing the, the, the empowerment and wearing like the, the color that you want yes. and that you want the audience to wear for themselves too. I think that you're truly doing that, which um, a lot of artists will say, and they and like they do it in their own way. But like a lot of artists, you want to want to preach optimism and positivity and like you know going after what you want. But I think you have a really specific way of doing that, which is specifically catered towards like you know um, the the subordination of women and and turning that upside down and. Um, you know, fighting the patriarchy, right. which is really, really cool. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, we can't see enough of it's the work I enjoy. Right. Yeah. And also just, you know, uh, speaking to gender and sexuality and hetero heteronormative society. I think those are all issues that you tackle specifically in like a lot of your music. That's absolutely so good job. Well, thanks. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, what goes into, um, what, or excuse, what went into uh, this new album that you that uh, you just dropped? The one that we just dropped. Yes. So the name of the album is Dance Music Saves Lives. Mm -hmm. um, I want to make sure I credit my bandmate slash songwriting yeah. par partner Marky for uh, Mark Spikowski for coming up with that name. He said it one time, and I was like, "That's the best thing I've ever heard." Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah." 
it's kind of real, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's really true. And I was like, yeah. that's what we're calling the album, okay? <laughs> like, we're going to do this. Um, but, I mean, that basically became our, like, the statement became the thesis for the album. Uh, we've had a lot of discussions about about dance music and how it actually does save lives and how it actually does create space for people who don't get space all the time. Um, and specifically like pop music and dance music as opposed to other kinds of pop, popular music. Because I mean like, and I'm saying, like when I say pop music usually I'm a little bit weird compared to a lot of people because a lot of people say pop and they think specifically like bubblegum. Mm -hmm. Like they think like really overproduced like Britney Top Spears. 40. Top uh, 40. And partially I want to say that there's nothing wrong with that music. Right. And I think that a lot of the judgment that we put on it is an incorrect placement of our judgment. Because it's popular. Because it's popular. Yeah. Right. But I mean, generally when I say pop music, I mean like the whole history of like secular music, really. Because all of that is pop music because pop means popular. But yeah, but yeah. Yeah. But pop and dance music and specifically that kind of pop music um, I don't know if I want to use this word, but like, is has been like really like ghettoized as being like a female thing mm -hmm. or a girl thing, and girl yeah yeah that's true and yeah. girl things and and I mean and like I feel like I want to add that like queerness and girlness are like kind of they're two different kinds of ways of being, but they're like tied together yeah they're on a spectrum, and it's a queer thing too. That kind of music, that pop music, is often given a subordinate position artistically to uh, music like, say, like Neil Young or um, Tom York or yeah. Beck or somebody. Right, and yeah. th it's always this model. Sometimes it's bands, but mostly there's this model of like the lone male genius. Mm -hmm. And it's like a model that we hold up throughout history in all kinds of fields, not just in music. Like you see it in art with like Van Gogh, for instance. Like, you know, you see it in the sciences with like uh, Einstein, you know, yeah. this idea of this guy who's just so obsessed with his work, nothing else matters to him, yeah. he's all alone, he's doing it all by himself, Yeah. and yeah. sort of ignoring the like milieu in which they're swimming, and ignoring the space around them, and ignoring the people who helped them to do what they did so that they could become this genius figure, right. this like lone genius. Yeah. Um, you know, like especially making music and seeing how much goes into producing just an album even on like the low level of uh, professional that we're working at this like indie level right mm -hmm. tons and tons of people had to help us to get this album made and if you see an album that gets made with any level of quality there are tons and tons of people helping that artist whether or not they wrote the songs by themselves or not so like you have Beck Beck didn't play every instrument on his album he didn't do all of the production oh, right, work. Yeah. He didn't do all of his sound engineering. He didn't master his album. In right. fact, Emily Lazar mastered his last album, yeah. who's also our mastering engineer. I just want to give that a shout out. That's awesome. <laughs> that is super cool. I'm just saying a woman mastered Beck's album, okay? That's <laughs> like that's and I'm it's glad, really important to note that. Right. Which is cool also. Like I actually saw him at Riot Fest last right. year and, and he, he's great. I'm not disagreeing right. back at all. He's of course. a great musician. But, By all means. Yeah. But yeah, he had an entire uh, right. like backing band and right. instrumentation when uh, he I saw him and that was right. very like important. It's a key thing to acknowledge that it's not all him, you know, he has a whole uh, 
he has an entire like uh, league of musicians and other right. professionals helping him. Right. He's the driver, but he's not working in a vacuum. And so then you see somebody like Beck who gets really held up and lauded as this yeah. like, genius. And then right. you see like Beyonce, this is always the comparison I use, but um, who gets held up as like a commercial object. Like as though she's not the driver of her own destiny the same way Beck is. So right. as though she didn't choose the content, as though she didn't choose who she's working with. She didn't have any say in what her work is, which is obviously bullshit. And like the whole reason is like, well, because you know, because her work is shiny and pop, but really what you're making is an aesthetic judgment. It has nothing to do with the content of their work or how they work or anything. You're hearing her music, which is like syncopated, which is pop, you know, which is this really specific style. And, but specifically you're hearing her female voice singing about girl shit. And for some reason, girl shit is never considered universal, whereas guy shit is always considered universal. So Beck can sing about a lost love, and that's a universal feeling of lost love. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Beyonce sings about lost love, and everybody's like, well, that's just about Jay-Z. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's really like a double standard that we have held up. So, um, getting back to the album, so one of the things I really wanted to talk about on the album was that double standard that sure. we have. Yeah. Um, and the double standards that we set for men and uh, femmes and women and queer people and the way that we get to engage with the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make an album that made a lot of space for femme and queer people and felt like this is for you specifically because there are lots of albums that are for everybody. Of course. And I mean, and the album is for everyone. Anyone can listen to it. But it's specifically like a love letter to my feminine queer folks and people of color and people who need to be have space held for them mm -hmm. when they don't always get it, especially in this political era that we're in. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was like the kind of foundational thing that sure. we went in with was like yeah. this idea that it was going to be positive music, it was going to be happy music, but it was going to confront a lot of that shit. Sure. I know you also referenced um, Disco Demolition Night. I did. Yeah. That yeah. was a that was a checkpoint for us. There's a really great documentary. Um, it's a documentary series and it's on Hulu. You mm -hmm. can see it. I totally recommend it. It's called Sound Breaking, and it's about the history of recorded sound in the 20th century. Um, oh, cool. It was produced by George Martin, who is the Beatles producer. It was really great. Sure. Um, but um, one episode specifically, they talked about disco, and they were interviewing Nile Rodgers, who's one of my favorite producers, um, who was in the band Chic, which that was how he got his start, and Chic is a disco band mm -hmm. of note, which everybody knows Chic. But, um, he was talking about how they had this disco demolition night and it was at Comiskey Park in Chicago and it was like 1980, I want to say, I could be mm -hmm. wrong. Um, but it turned into like an ugly riot. Um, and the whole idea was it was like a promo for like a rock radio station and they were going to burn all their discos and declare the death of, death of disco because disco, like pop music, has always been maligned as being stupid music. Yeah. Like easy, facile, like... Right like chick music right and yeah. also like that's right. the music they played in gay clubs though yeah. at the time you know that's the music they played in all of those safe places for for people who weren't the norm to go mm -hmm. um so i just think it's like really like interesting to me that like all of this aggro energy got thrown onto this like super femme super gay thing um, and that there was an ugly riot and it was like right at the beginning of the Reagan era and like right at the beginning of like the quote unquote moral majority and the sort of like return to quote unquote traditional values mm -hmm. 
that you know that followed it when like yeah. things had been really pushing forward in America as far as like that kind of thing was really opening up and then you had Reagan come in and like with this new conservatism and you had the AIDS crisis and the fact that the government ignored it and all these people died like yeah. I just like I feel like there's like a continuum there between what's happening in society and what's happening in the arts that always exists but that kind of fascist pushback that happened at that time that pushed disco back underground yeah um just it to me is really symbolic right so yeah and that's that's still very much alive that whole like um that system yeah um is still like i mean right. in in trump's america that's still very real right. where people feel like or you know there's still um, I, I think especially that how Trump's Trump's America has given much more of a voice to a lot of these reactionary yeah. um, like people on the platform that they're fueled by a a um, resistance to want to adapt their beliefs into a more um, postmodern society where yeah. I mean it's like it's a weird. There's a, there's a really weird, like, um, paradigm going on between what is modern and what isn't. Like, that's the whole, the whole postmodern. Like, right. it's it's a really weird time we're, we're living in where it's like a lot of things are being undone, unlearned, and also unpacked. Well, and I always think about, like, all of that shit. <laughs> I always think about it as, like... Like, the scene in a horror film where, like, the final girl has, like, stabbed the crud out of the boogeyman, yeah. and he's, like, almost dead. But because he's almost dead, he has to give, like, one last scare, like, yeah. one last, like, right. or, like, you know, yeah. they stab the alien, and then it responds by being, like, like right. it's, like, the death throes of the patriarchy. They're, like, dinosaurs that are just, like, they're going extinct, they're terrified, they don't understand that they don't have to go extinct. They can just evolve, but they haven't figured that out. So instead, they're just like, like that little alien creature, just like flailing. Yeah, you know, right, it's yeah. like this, like total, like. It's not dead yet. Right. So you need to stab it one more time. Right. Or like, shoot the it. The pushback and the flailing is a response yeah. to them feeling like they've become obsolete. Right. And but really, it's yeah. just that they're not. They're learning that they have to share. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. That's all it really is. Yeah. Like, like other people are asking to share the ball, but they've had the ball for like hundreds of years, and yeah. they're like, "But this is my ball," and mm -hmm. it's like, "Well, no, it's everyone's ball. You've just been hogging it for a long time. Right. And we would like some some time now." Progressive in progressivism is inevitable. It just <laughs> I agree. it really just I thinks that so. there's always this norm of like women are always like viewed as like competing against each other, um, like. It's just it, that that right. Israel, like Beyonce and Rihanna, are always compared. For example, right? Um, As though there aren't like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands right. of artists all working at the same time, and like yeah, I mean, comparing yourself to another artist is just like a fool's errand. Right. It's, it's it's capitalism. Right. And, and, and it's and not it's, that any, people don't you know. There's always like going to be like some part of you, some insecure part of you that like starts to compare yourself to another person mm -hmm. but it's like your expression is so unique and everyone's expression right. is unique so it's like yeah. it's like such a waste of time right you should only be in co competition with yourself at the end of the day right um which a lot of us lose sight of um but also like i love that you know you also are like um I th you made point of this where like there's a lot of like 
uh, like girlness and queerness that's associated with pop music. Um, it's like that's why like I really do admire like um, women or femme musicians that are in non-pop genres. Right. Like I admire that a lot. That's true. I mean, because they have like a, a big challenge ahead of them right. because of the fact that like they're in a space that's even less welcoming to them. Yeah, like, exactly. And so they have to really like elbow to make their own space. Yeah. Right, like, um, just to name a few in the local scene, like, I mentioned, uh, Anna from Sufferhead, you know, she's yeah. like, noise rock band, right. uh, Apollo Vermouth, right. who makes really cool, uh, ambient music, um, you know, uh, there's... I'm gonna give a shout out to Molly and Tiger Knight, Molly Rose. Oh yeah, she's, Molly's awesome. She's yeah. a phenomenon, she's yeah. amazing. Tiger Knight's a really fucking yeah. awesome band. And um, like, and they're, they're hard rock and glam right. rock and metal and stuff, so like, yeah. Yeah, uh, Foxface. Uh, Foxface is another great one. Great example as well. Um, and, and FemFest here in Verwest does a, does a wonderful job at um, really giving that, um, that acknowledgement to like, uh, women and non-binary and femme artists of all different stylistic um, nature to play out and just for everyone to see that like like women are not putting being put in a box anymore. They're a lot. They like they can do whatever they want in whatever creative manifestation. Right. Um, so that's why like I'm you know I'm glad that we're undoing that. I mean, there, and like I, like like we mentioned earlier, there's plenty of like great pop like artists of you know that are doing amazing work and making uh, making amazing music. Even um, bands like you know Gossip and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and right. uh, you know um, Haim, like yeah. they're in traditional like rock format, but right. you know the, there's a lot of like that that you know, women empower that like fuck the patriarchy attitude that makes it so like, oh, well, it may be like um poppy of sorts, but it's still like it has a very like socially conscious attitude. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I think that I mean at the end of the day, like it's about, you know, just wanting to do it sounds like it's all about like, you know, like the the the, the cliche live your best life. Right. Yeah. It is a clip, but I mean, it's also true. I mean, yeah. the thing... Clichés are... They exist cliches, for a reason, right. you know? I mean, for me, the thing that's, like, really, like, the deep, heavy, kind of, like... I don't want to say morbid, but, like, the underlying driving force is just that, like, life is finite. We don't know what happens afterwards. I have this one. What do I want to do with it? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's kind of underneath what drives all of that decision-making for me is, like... What life do I want to live? What do I want to give people while I'm here? What do I want for myself while I'm here? Because to not take advantage of all of the things that I have to take advantage of and not to do all the things that I want to do, you know, um, while I'm alive now is just mm -hmm. like a wasted opportunity. Especially if the reason you're not doing something is because you're scared of failing mm -hmm. or you're scared of looking stupid or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, like, maybe you're a person who just, like, loves to, like, wear khaki pants and you just want, you know, to have a job at the bank and you just want to read your books and, you, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you don't have to, like, live a life that's like, Wah! all the time right, like yeah. I do just you know to be happy you should find where your joy is living you know mm -hmm. and maybe like where the space where you live is much quieter the space where I live but as for me like 
I mean, I've always been a fucking weirdo. And, like, I've been through ups and downs of trying to fit in and failing to fit in and realizing at some point that, like, fitting in is not where I was meant to dwell. So I have to, like, live in a way that works for me because mm -hmm. I don't want to... I don't want to die having tried so hard to fit in and then realizing right. that there was like no reason for it. Right. <laughs> you know? That's so true. I mean, that's yeah. really like underneath everything. And like, yeah. and I also like, I want other people to feel free to be themselves. And so anything I can do to help them with that, like, I mean, I've said this to somebody before, but like, as far as like the skills that I have to offer the revolution, <laughs> mm -hmm. like I, um, I'm lousy at chopping firewood, you know, I, um, I'm not gonna like go become a civil rights lawyer like that's not the path for me mm -hmm. like there's only certain things that there's skill sets that I have and how can I use those to best serve the world and like so this is what how I'm doing that that's basically it I think you are kicking ass oh thanks you're Trey. welcome and I think none of us are meant to fit in we only <laughs> that's think exactly true we only <laughs> perceive fitting in as a necessity because it puts us in groups mm. um, and it's easier for us to be controlled by the system if we're in groups mm, that's an interesting point too uh, yeah so i think fitting in is a it's really just a, it's a trap yeah um, it's a trap that just makes us feel like you know we're um it makes it easier f for us to be rounded up, you know, and to be more viewed as like just, you know, uh, cheap. So I, I think that it's great when, you know, you can not, not only like feel like you, it, it, like it's great when you're not, when you don't fit in because it like authenticity and just being weird is, is great. Right. It's just, it really is. It's like, it's really a blessing because once you learn to embrace it and just feel, um, feel like you don't need to, you know, change or be anything that you're not, then like you in turn get admired for that. And you also just feel so much more comfortable in your everyday life because you don't feel like you need to answer to anyone or apologize to anyone for being yourself. Right. So I mean, that's the main thing too. I mean, one thing, and we talked about this a little bit earlier with like capitalism and patriarchy and like having this, like the puritanical sort of like thread running through the society. And like the longer I'm alive, the more I see that those things are all connected to each other. Oh, they are. Yeah. And they're connected to racism and they're connected to sexism and they're connected to homophobia and transphobia and ableism and all of those things. It's like if if the kind of like powers that be can keep you sort of always just out of reach of feeling happy and satisfied, then they can always keep you wanting things. They can always keep you wanting things. They can always keep selling you the things that you need. They can always keep you blaming somebody else for your problems. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like it basically it's a way to keep people in line like othering people right. is a way to keep people in line it's a way to keep them buying shit and fighting with each other so that they're not paying attention to the things that actually need to get done <laughs> Do you know all right I mean? laurel all right all right um so i think we had a great conversation yeah. about uh dismantling the system um 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, f I think you're doing a really kick-ass job of doing what you can. Thank um, so, you. So, um, yeah. Um, thank you for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. I always feel like these conversations, like, I get so excited to say everything, and mm. then I only get, like, a tiny bit said of everything that needs sure. to be said. But Did this help? Oh, yeah. I got, yeah. I got some stuff out. Awesome. Yeah, good. good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night? Yeah. Oh my gosh, like in a good way or a bad way? Either way. Both ways. Yeah. In a good way, ideas for projects keep me up at night. There you go. Um, in a bad way, um, mortality keeps me up at oh, night. Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> like anybody. Yeah. And the fucking patriarchy, right? <laughs> that too, that too. Yeah. Same, same, really. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, what puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep? ASMR videos. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm there. What's your, uh, what's your preferred noise? I like the sound of people talking really low. Oh, okay. Like yeah. that's that's what I look for. I don't like if it's too much crinkling and crunching. Yeah. That's annoying. But like sure. I love it when it's just like low talking from ear to ear when they do the the uh, binaural thing. Yeah, sure. I want to do that someday. Oh, cool. That's yeah. that's cool. I, I think that's why a lot of people like Bob Ross. Oh yeah. Because like, the he... problem with Bob Ross videos, I've tried to sleep to Bob Ross, but I want to watch. Oh yeah. And so sure. then I'm like I'm like trying to like, keep my eyes open yeah, whereas I, I want one that's like purely audio so sure. I don't have to look at what's going on that helps yeah <laughs> well i guess that's also why some people like podcasts that's um because they can be soothing to the ear so you could soothe yourself with this podcast if you want to please do shameless plug um thank you for being on the show no problem thanks yeah. for having me had a great time uh be sure to listen to dance music stays saves lives <laughs> um streaming everywhere and uh, do you have any shows coming up you know, we actually are taking a break right now to write a new album. Oh, so that's exciting. I know. So for the fall, we don't have anything scheduled um, yet. Cool. We'll see what happens. So. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for watching Mr. Nice Guy, and we will see you next time.